Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Consumer Review Report. I'm Diane Rebecca here on Tube City Online Radio, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media Inc. Heard Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at 6 p.m., and Thursday at 9 a.m. Podcasts of these shows are available on wmck.fm slash crr, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. All right, so we are here on the Consumer Review Report because we deal with consumer issues. So um, if you have any, I don't know, uh, any ideas of any products or services you would like to hear on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any questions or comments on anything that you hear on the show about any products or service that we cover here on the Consumer Review Report, you can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesports. All right, so welcome to the show. Uh, today, we'll be dealing with um, scams. I mean, there are so many scams out there. And, uh, you know, we have to be aware because if we're not aware of the scams out there, then we are going to fall for whatever uh, they're trying to do, whether they take their take your money, which is generally what happens, or they take your information, your social security, your uh, bank account numbers, anything like that, um, you know, we have to be vigilant because uh, in this day and age, it's so easy to scam online because um, and all over the phone because, uh, you know, they don't have to look you in the eye, uh, you know, so they don't care if they take stuff away from you. They have no guilt about it whatsoever. So you have to be vigilant in the fact that, we have to be careful in, um, you know, not falling for their antics. But before I get into the scams, I wanted to talk about what's been going on lately with consumer prices. Now, there was a uh, article about consumer pricing uh, prices jumped 5% annually last month in May. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and play this um the sound from the news. Uh, here we go. Let's listen to that. Welcome back to Squawk Box. We have breaking news. Our April read on consumer price index. And believe me, if you're standing, I recommend you sit down. Up eight tenths of one percent on headline. Four times expectations. Strip off the all important food and energy. Up three times expectations. Up nine tenths of one percent. Year over year up 4.2%, and if you look at year-over-year -year core, up 3.0. These are staggering numbers. However, they shouldn't be a surprise, especially let's take those year-over-year -year numbers. When you look at last April, it was up three-tenths year-over-year headline. So we are comping against some of the worst corona-affected year-over-year inflation data points. So for the next couple months, these year-over-year -year numbers are going to be rather large. How large? Yeah, I heard you ask. Up 4.2% would be the biggest 
month-over-month month increase on headline year-over-year year since September, get this, 2008. These are really, really lofty numbers. Now, as we look at what's going on in interest rates, we're almost at 164 on a 10, 235 on 30s. And do remember, yesterday, once we traded back over that 160 and held, we never traded under 161 even. And I know these are compressed technicals, but I try to keep it simple. Give yourself a couple of basis points for slippage. Use 160 as the dividing line between more bullish, meaning uh, rates go up, prices go down, and vice versa under 160 pivot. Those should be helpful. And one more thing. If there's any question at this point about how much extra benefits are kicking in to keep people maybe from taking some of these jobs, a couple of things at a post-mortem on Jolts yesterday, when you really had a chance to look at it, leisure and hospitality were up 267,000 yesterday on openings, but hires actually declined by 6,000. So as you go through those numbers, it really starts to jump out at you. Joe, back to I you. We I had a weird feeling watching, listening to you. It was, I, I think I would identify it as kind of like panic. Uh, that, that when you actually see inflation numbers when it's been so long, Rick, I really didn't think they were possible. I didn't think it was possible, and I still don't. I think it must be transitory. But for a second, I was thinking four per I mean, those are big numbers. And, and if it were to, to feed numbers. on itself again and again and again and, and, and go, I, I just really haven't got my, my head around that we could really go back to where inflation would be a big problem. I mean, I've seen it before, but it's been so long, I, I just don't believe it. But I almost felt a bit of panic for a second. Should I? Yeah, well, the problem is transient. See, markets have a big problem with the word transient because once you start to see inflation, markets aren't going to be pricing in a, you know, an extended transient period, kind of a buy. We'll let it slide for a while. And even if it is transient, what's transient? One quarter, two quarters, five quarters? No matter how you slice it, the markets are going to percolate a lot more than they have regarding some of these pricing pressures. And in the end, I don't doubt they may be transient. But transient's a two-fold issue. First of all, it's going to be a longer form of transient. I don't think it's just going to be a month or two. And the second thing is, once they move to the higher level, they're going to stick. And this is the difference between what middle America and all the experts and economists and analysts feel about inflation. You know, if, you're, if your food bill doubles and it sticks, that hurts. But if you're measuring inflation from the Fed standpoint, the doubling actually makes the CPI or PPI, whatever it is, a hot number. But once it sticks, that momentum goes dead. And basically, the net change becomes the number we look at. That's the issue. Shepard Smith here. Thanks for watching CNBC on YouTube. Okay, so that was posted actually a month ago. So now we're into June, and um, it's jumped even more to uh, actually now it's up to 5%. Uh, from last um, last month in May. So let me just give you a rundown of this article by Sylvan Lane from The Hill. Consumer prices rose 5% in the 12 months leading up to May, a finding that is higher than is, is expected and certain to raise concerns about inflation that are already being voiced by policymakers in Washington. The Consumer Price Index a closely watched gauge of inflation rose at the fastest annual rate since 2008 as suppliers struggled to keep up with sharply rising demand, according to data released Thursday. 
by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, the new inflation data comes as President Biden and the Fed face increasing pressure to act on inflation. Economists have long expected inflation to temporarily spike as the U.S. economy moved toward fully reopening, and it's possible the bump is a temporary surge linked to the coronavirus pandemic that massively hit the economy just more than a year ago. Financial markets, which are often sensitive to higher-than-expected jumps in inflation, shook off the report. Dow Jones Industrial Average Futures projected an opening gain of 150 points after the BLS data was released. Republican lawmakers and fiscal hawks, however, have argued that the combination of Biden's March stimulus bill, monetary stimulus from the Fed, and potential future spending could force the U.S. into an inflationary spiral. They are likely to seize on the new numbers as evidence that Biden's policies are a real threat to inflation. The BLS pinned most of the increase on supply chain bottlenecks and a quick snapback of consumer demand for certain goods and services that pushed prices much higher. Prices for used cars and trucks soared more than 7% between April and May, making up one-third of the total increase in the CPI. There has been intense demand for used cars in 2021 as rental companies rush to replace fleets they liquidated in 2020. Food prices rose 0.4% thanks largely to a 2.3% rise in beef prices, while declines in gasoline prices offset increases in electricity and natural gas prices. So overall, BLS said many of the forces responsible for April's increase persisted through May, including household furnishings and operations, airline fares, and apparel, all of which have seen sharp increases in demand since the start of 2021. So let's go ahead and get Jim Cramer's uh, reaction to what is going on here. So let's take a listen to that. Start with CPI, though. Uh, we're already digging into the internals. Used cars and trucks up 7.3. Airfare is up 7, Jim. Uh, areas that are truly transitory or not? Uh, look, I think that when you take a look at Ford, for instance, which has where you have used cars, used trucks, David, that are actually like going through new prices because you can't get them. There's, that's a semiconductor issue, but it's also a bit of a steel issue. Steel prices just keep going higher. And people think that... Cleveland Cliffs is a meme stock. You kidding me? Cleveland Cliffs is a money machine. Sells at five times earnings. So I think that there's a uh, what's in a car, whether it be aluminum, uh, whether it be any of the chemicals, plastics. Uh, it, they're all a combination of transitory and also uh, bottleneck issues. Uh, I think that the Fed has to hope that the bottlenecks go away because uh, those can go away, and that will make it seem like it's not not so bad. The, right. bo- the bottlenecks, a lot of them are still from this the wipeout of the of Yuri, the plastics yes. and the ports just continue to be oh, the uh, delayed and uh, containers and we here, but it, it's a real problem. No, no, it is it, a real it, problem. It, it is. There's not enough containers. There's not enough. There's not enough truckers. We there's not enough people. Okay, but why is that transitory? Well, because there really will be people when you you stop making as much when you don't work and also there's kind of a mismatch of people where uh 
people who know that they are able to be in such demand that they command a level that is just not realistic so that your business can't run. That's one of these big issues now. Yeah. This was actually the topic of a J.P. Morgan note earlier in the week. You know, relative to other G4 countries, the U.S. policy in COVID was to let labor flexibility happen, and people right. got laid off in ways they didn't get laid off in Europe. Right. But we might win on the back end with productivity, better job matching, even though we, even though we have to scramble to churn and reposition. Right. I mean, look, a lot of people went on disability. You used to talk about disability all the time, David. Yes, it's a did. real issue. It was. Can I ask you to numbers. resurrect that? Um, you know, it's, it's not just about the core rate, by the way. Uh, we are watching food prices. Starbucks, Jim, we talked about Chipotle's price increase yesterday. Now Starbucks talking about shortages of some syrups and some cups. The cups are amazing. It's just like everybody seemed to have underestimated how much demand there really is, except for Boeing, which has a get an order for 100 planes. They still... They still have a lot of planes left. There's the but, Starbucks thing. I mean, they're, they're running out of stuff in their stores. They don't have well, they cake switched pops, to paper. cup stoppers, mocha flavoring, as, as Carl said. Uh, uh, that's just transitory also. Well, they still got the triple on? vente cappuccino with skim wet. Is that, is that a demand issue, or is that back to no, what we're talking no, about? It's the also, they, they cited chain. labor they're issues caught. at their suppliers as well. Yes, they're caught. Only PepsiCo has come through this so far without a lot of problems. Now, they, they have some problems. But not a lot. I keep going back to that Campbell's quarter where everything went wrong, right? Everything went wrong. People didn't want pantry stocking anymore, but the prices went up for everything. Uh, it was just a, I don't know, it was a parade of horribles. Yes, Campbell's down a lot yesterday, the stock itself. Well, I mean, the, and the uh, CEO there is very good. It's but a nine-month low there for a moment. Before, that's something. Yeah. So I, the, on, on the data then, Jim, why, why are the pits yawning on, on this? I think that people are really buying into what Powell's saying. Uh, and by the way, when you go over that actual unemployment number on Friday, people aren't making, those numbers say that people aren't making much more. I mean, those were not inflationary numbers. The wage numbers the themselves. Wage numbers. Even though they were up, but it was not, up over, no, but, over 3%. But I think that they're still not up enough to make it so that Powell's going to change his view. And I think that, I mean, I, I think what you're, you say is right. I mean, productivity, uh, disruptive technologies will make things up. Uh, there were, uh, there, Matt Boss has got something, I'm putting him on tonight, about the 20,000 stores that went under, but it did seem like that there were just too many stores anyway. Shepard Smith here. Thanks for watching CNBC on YouTube. All right, so again... That is uh, some speculation as to whether this is going to last um, or will continue. As I mean, I think a big part of it is that um, they can't find people to fill certain positions. So uh, when the people are ready to get back to work, we might see a drop in some prices. All right. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on what's going on with that throughout the course of the uh, months ahead. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and get on to more scams. Uh, you know, I harp on these scams because it's so easy for people to fall for these. And um, it's really very sad. And <clears throat> the problem is, is that these scammers are hard to catch and hard to track down and hard to prosecute. So because everything's done online or over the phone, uh, it's hard to track people. So even if they do take 
uh, your money or any of your identifying uh, information, uh, you know, you can't track them down to get your money back. And it's hard to prosecute to even, you know, get at least some retribution for what happened. So it's very important that you are on top of not getting scammed and when we put these scammers out of business then they might find other ways to try to make their money all right so i get a lot of these scams from the federal trade commission or the bbb so here's an article from the federal trade commission written by lisa lake a consumer education specialist and this is entitled, More Money is Coming to Families and Scammers Are Ready. All right. So scammers are ready to take that money from you if you let them. So here's the deal with that. As part of the American Rescue Plan Act, eligible families will get monthly payments from the government from July 15th through December 2021. The Internal Revenue Service will send these monthly payments directly to people through direct deposit, paper checks, or debit cards. Unlike economic impact payments, these payments are in advance on families' child tax credit. People who are eligible will get up to half of their child tax credit in these monthly payments and the other half when they file their 2021 taxes. Now, if you qualify for payments, which depends in part on how much you make, you'll get them on about the 15th of each month automatically without having to do anything. The IRS is working to get online systems set up on its webpage and make sure all questions get answered. Now, go to irs.gov for the latest info on who qualifies, how much you'll get, and how to address any problems you might run into. When money from the government is in the news, we know scammers are about to run their standard playbook. They may call, email, text, or DM you. They'll say they can help you get your payments earlier. They can't. So when they say that, they cannot, all right? Uh, they can also say they'll get you more money, and that is also not true. They, can, they will never, ever be able to, to get you more money or get your payments earlier. Also, they'll tell you other lies. Um, so, but here's the deal. Here is the real deal. Only the IRS will be sending these payments. Anyone trying to help you get your child tax credit is really after your money. The government will never, repeat, never call, text, email, or DM you out of the blue asking for money or information. Keep your money and your social security, bank account, debit, and credit card numbers to yourself. Nobody legit will ever demand that you pay by gift card, wire transfer through companies like MoneyGram or Western Union or cryptocurrency. That's a scam every time. All right, so just some useful tips there. Now, if someone tries to scam you out of these payments or anything else, report it to the FTC at report fraud.ftc.gov. All right. So please do us a favor. Keep your money in your pocket. Don't give that to anyone else. All right.
Now, here is another article from the FTC uh, written by Colleen Tressler, who is uh, from the Division of Consumer and Business Education. This is titled, Scammers Cash In on Confusion Over Vaccine Verification Methods, right? uh, What they talk about is uh, vaccine passports, where... You would have to get something that says that you're vaccinated. And then when you go to an event or you're getting on an airplane and they ask to see verification that you've been vaccinated, uh, you know, you're supposed to pull out some sort of proof. But there is no such thing. But I bet you scammers will try to talk you into saying that there is such a thing. So Here's about this, more than a year into the pandemic and months after the first rollout of COVID-19 vaccines, people are eager to get back to their regular activities. But some activities might require you to show that you've been vaccinated or had a recent negative COVID-19 test. How you do that may depend on the activity and where you live. Right now, there's no standard way to prove you've been vaccinated or tested negative. Sure, there are those CDC COVID-19 vaccination cards people get when they get their vaccine, but they were never designed to prove your vaccination status, and they may not be enough. Some states, companies, colleges, and other organizations are creating their own verification products and services, including apps and digital passports or certificates. Some connect to state immunization databases, while others rely on individual self-report. The patchwork approach gives scammers an opportunity to cash in on the confusion. Besides not sharing your COVID-19 vaccination card online because of the risk for identity theft, here are a few other ways to help stay uh, stay ahead of the scammers. Be skeptical of anyone contacting you from the federal government. Right now, there are no official plans to create a national vaccine uh, vaccine verification app or certificate or passport. If you get a call, email, or text from someone saying they're from the federal government and asking you for personal information or money to get a national vaccine certificate or passport, That's a scam, all right? The federal government, and I don't even think the state government, are offering anything like that. So if anybody's calling you and saying, hey, do you want one of these passports? Now you have to give me some money for it, you know, and we'll send it in the mail right away. It's a scam. So don't bother with that, okay? Check with airlines, cruise lines, and event venues about their requirements. Don't rely on information from someone who calls, texts, or emails you out of the blue, right? Because what they'll say, they'll call you and they'll say, Hey, uh, uh, you know, if you want to go on this cruise, you're going to have to have this sort of paperwork. And, uh, and it's going to cost you, you know, $200, the government's not going to do that, all right? So you have to contact whatever activity that you're planning on doing, contact them, ask them, you know, what kind of verification that you need, and then you get together that paperwork. But nobody's going to offer from the government to do that for you for a fee, so hang up the phone. 
All right. Uh, contact your state government about its vaccine verification plans and requirements. Don't share your information with just anyone. Scammers often set up real-looking websites to sell fake goods and services, so why not vaccine verification certificates or passports? Before you share any information online, check out who's asking for it. Search online for the company or organization's name with words like scam, review, or complaint. Okay? Again, search online for, for the company or organization's name with words like scam, review, or complaint. If somebody's trying to sell you some kind of passport or certificate, think long and hard before you share personal information like your social security, Medicare, credit card, or bank account numbers. Scammers can steal your information to commit fraud and identity theft. Of course, you know, and no matter how many times we repeat this over and over, not just on the show, but you know, on TV, on the news, or whatever, there are still people out there who think it's it should they should be sharing that information on with people on the phone. Yes, if you call them and they need that information, then yes. But if people call you and say they need that information, you are not to be giving out that information. Now. Please share these tips with others and stay connected to stay informed. Subscribe to Consumer Alerts from the FTC to get updates delivered right to your email inbox. If you know about a COVID-19 vaccine scam, tell the FTC about it at reportfraud.ftc.gov or file a complaint with your state or territory attorney general at consumerresources.org the consumer website of the National Association of Attorneys General. All right, now, speaking of people calling you and trying to get your information, uh, I was um, looking at this YouTube video by Theo Joe. Now, you've heard Theo Joe on this show before. And uh, so I, he's my go-to guy when there's unusual things that happen. And he talks about this news scam uh, regarding your home landline phone it's it's amazing I was like totally shocked by it <laughs> but it's like when people call you as I said to try to scam you and they try to get your information one of the things that they tell you to do is to hang up from this person and call the real number right to verify that th that this person is a representative of the government or the company or whoever's trying to call you. But here's the rub. They can actually they can actually scam you when you do when you attempt to call the company or government for verification on your home phone or landline. So let me go ahead and play this for you and and uh, you know let you know how this can be done. It's amazing. There is a very clever new scam going around that you definitely need to know about. Or should I say it's an old scam that's becoming newly popular again. I've seen it being called the delayed disconnect scam, but basically it takes advantage of a lesser known feature in some phone systems to trick you. And the worst part about it is they can trick you doing this even if you do everything completely right. So it won't even be your fault. So you really need to know about it in order to defeat it. So first here's how the scam goes and then I'll go over how it actually works. 
So you get a phone call from someone claiming to be from your bank. They tell you your card has been compromised, your card has been hacked, whatever, the usual, and they tell you, you know what, you need to contact the number on the back of your card, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. So then you do that, you hang up, you call the number on the back of your card correctly, by the way, you call the correct number. So after dialing, someone picks up and they say, hi, this is whatever bank. But at this point, you have already been tricked. You are still talking to the scammer. Wait a minute, how did that just happen? So here's how the scam works. The first key to understand is that this is only going to potentially happen on landlines. You see, a lot of landline phone systems do not actually disconnect the call right away after you hang up the phone. Depending how the phone company has your specific system set up, if you, as the receiving party, hang up the call, however, the other caller does not hang up on the other end, then it will stay connected for anywhere from a couple seconds to several minutes until the original caller disconnects or that timer is reached. So in the meantime, if they didn't hang up, if you pick up the phone again, you'll still be talking to that same person. So what the scammer does is after they hear you hang up, they'll start playing a fake dial tone. So then when they hear you pick up again to call the number on the back of the card, like you're supposed to, then they'll just stop the dial tone and then pretend to pick up as the bank. And obviously what's especially bad about this is you can do everything right and still be tricked if you just didn't know. So let me go over a few ways you can easily defeat the scam and then afterwards we can talk a little bit more about this so-called feature and why it exists. Now the first way to avoid this scam, first of all, if you receive the call on your cell phone, then hanging up right away immediately disconnects the call. You don't have to worry about it. If you receive the call on a landline, what you can do is call using a totally different landline if you happen to have two or more likely use a cell phone to call the number on the back of the card, not the landline you just received the call on. If you don't have a cell phone, you only have that landline, and you don't know how long the timer is for your particular phone company in your area, then you have no choice really but to wait 10 or 15 minutes even to be sure that that call was disconnected. One thing you could do is call your phone company to ask what this delay disconnect time is, though you might have to go through a few people before they know what you're talking about. Or alternatively, you could have a friend call you. I don't know if this has to be done by the friend having a landline or cell phone, but you can have them call you, then you hang up and they stay on the line and basically time for you how long it takes until they start to hear a dial tone, which means that that's the amount of time that anyone is gonna have to wait for the disconnect, and then you know. Also, one thing you could do to test it after not waiting the full amount of time is to dial a number that you know already, like maybe your friend's phone number. And then, obviously, if the scammer picks up again or someone picks up saying, hi, this is your bank, while well, you just called your friend's phone number, then you know it's the scammer, and then you know that it was a scam. Now, you might be wondering, why does this feature even exist? It sounds like a nightmare in security. Well, I found a couple reasons. The first being the idea is you could hang up the phone and then pick it up in another room to continue a conversation without the other person having to call you again. And this was probably before cordless phones were a thing. Another reason that does make sense actually is so that if there was a weak connection between the two lines and it was cutting out, it wouldn't hang up every time there is a weak signal that occurred. But still, that would kind of not explain why it would go on for several minutes, maybe like a few seconds tops in there. But there are other big questions like, why does the call remain connected with a delay only if the receiving party hangs up? And why does it disconnect immediately when the original party hangs up? Why not the other way around? And why are there different delayed times? So let me get into explaining all that. Now, it actually took me quite a bit of digging to find out more details about this so-called feature or quirk of a phone system, whatever you want to call it, beyond what just some of the basic news articles were talking about when they were referring to the scam. And all the articles that I was reading about it referred to this feature as delayed disconnect, 
but it turns out that that's not actually the name of this feature. One extremely informational bit of info I found was from a scanned PDF of this obscure book that I found on Google Books, and it was called the Informatics Handbook. In one section, it describes the term call clearing, which basically is how the phone system disconnects the lines depending on conditions. It says call clearing, AKA clear down or tear down, the orderly disengagement of a call in a switch network. Later on, here's the key though. It says note that three different control approaches are used in telephone systems. First, the calling party clear approach, where the call is only cleared when the calling a party puts down the handset. Then there's the called party clear approach, where the call is cleared when the B party puts down the handset. And third, the first party clear, where the call is cleared when either puts the phone down. It then elaborates, the A party clear approach means that the receiver can put down the handset and move to another phone extension without losing the call. However, it leaves B party vulnerable to having a phone unable to receive calls if the A party does not hang up correctly. There are also implications in hacker scams involving entry into systems requiring callback procedures. So even in 1996, when this book was written 25 years ago, they already realized that this feature could be potentially used to scam people. So if you have a landline, this is definitely something you wanna know, which of the approaches your phone system from your phone company uses. Obviously, it sounds like first party clear makes the most sense. If either party hangs up, then the phone call should end. Even called party clear would be better. I mean, if you think about it, if you're the person who's receiving the calls, you don't really have control over who's calling you and how many times they call you. So you should definitely have control over whether or not you want to end those calls. So then why do phone companies even have this calling party clear approach? Well, apparently the logic is that the original caller is the one who's paying the bill and they're paying for the call. So they should theoretically be able to control when the call ends, but that still seems completely backwards to me. If someone receiving the call doesn't want to talk, then they should be able to end it. And I think most people will probably agree with me. I also did some more digging and found that the term used for the condition on a phone system where the called party hangs up, but the line remains connected is something named called subscriber held or CSH. And it turns out this phone system behavior or feature is pretty ancient. I even found it in this document about phone systems from 1941. So it has been around for a long time. So assuming a landline has called party clearing, how long is the actual delay? And like I mentioned before, that's going to depend on your phone company and potentially even the system that your local area phone system uses. And I already talked about the options where you can call your phone company, hope that the person knows who you're talking about, or maybe have a friend test it with you and time it themselves. But again, I'm not 100% sure if this behavior still happens, if the original caller is calling from a cell phone or if it has to be both people on a landline. Now, I wanted to know what the actual name of this delay or timer was so that if you called your phone company, you could specifically ask about it, but I couldn't really seem to find any universal name for it. Now, in the United Kingdom, at least, I was able to find a document from the NICC, which talks about UK interoperability standards, and they refer to it as the CSH timeout called subscriber held. We mentioned that before. And it actually does have a specification called timer TO-01. And it looks like the NICC set a possible range that phone companies could choose 
for this timer and it could be anywhere from two seconds to three minutes and again this is only in the uk in the united states i've seen cases where it could be longer so it's not going to apply everywhere also in this document i found another timer called to-03 which is apparently a backup timer in case the signal for the 01 timer failed to get sent or something and again everything in here seems to only apply to the uk so this to-01 timer might not be used anywhere else except in the uk however there was one statement by a canadian telecom company called shaw where in their statement they referred to it as the call clearing delay time and this is actually the same term used by british telecommunications in their press release when they reduced that time so it seems like this could be a pretty good term to use hopefully that now this scam is getting a lot more press attention companies will kind of follow suit from the UK and reduce this greatly if they still have it implemented. There was actually one pretty major news story done in Canada and the news agency CTV contacted several different companies in Canada to ask what their delay time was and they got some responses. So short company did say that they will shorten the timer to combat the fraud, though they didn't give a specific number. Two other companies they contacted, TELUS and Rogers, said that theirs disconnect after 10 seconds and one company, Bell, didn't say at all. Now I was actually curious what the deal was in the United States, so I tried contacting AT&T and Verizon via support chat. Those are two really big companies in the US and actually got responses. So here was my question. It was, hi, I'm trying to find out the call clearing delay time for landlines, meaning how long a phone call stays connected after the receiving party hangs up. Verizon said, thank you for reaching out to us. This varies from call to call actually. Many things go into how long a line remains engaged after the call is completed and terminated by the handset. Cellular lines will disconnect and terminate faster than a traditional copper line would, but generally the line is terminated within one to two seconds. AT&T's response was this, the call will get disconnected right away after the receiving party hangs up. So assuming the representative knew exactly what I was talking about, it sounds like these companies use either first party clearing or a very, very short disconnect time. But it maybe would still be worth it to test it out yourself just to be sure. In any case though, now that you at least know about this scam, you can be prepared for it if it ever happens to you. So let me know what you guys think down in the comments. If you still have a landline, did you know that this was a thing that could happen with your phone line? Also, if you enjoyed the video, be sure to give it a thumbs up and also subscribe because I try to make a couple videos a week so it should be worth it. If you guys want to keep watching, the next video I recommend is where I was talking about new scams in 2021. So definitely check that out. It should be worth a watch. You can just click on it right there. So thanks so much for watching, guys, and I'll see you in the next video. Okay, and we did uh, play that video, new scams in 2021, some a couple months ago. So we already heard that, but isn't that amazing? I didn't even know such a thing existed. <laughs> and how did the scammers know about it, you know? They'll sit there and uh, you'll hang up and then they'll play a fake dial tone and hope that you pick up right away. Because what did he say? It was like 10 seconds that, you know, that this could happen, um, that the call continues to be open. Um, so, wow, that's amazing. So I, I always like to learn something new like that. It's, it's uh, pretty interesting. So anyways, if you are uh using still using a home phone uh, landline uh, be aware that this can happen because one of the things of course that we tell you is when somebody is um you know calling you to hang up and call the company itself or the number that you know is the true company to make sure that a representative from that company was calling you 
And so here they can get get you if you um, don't uh, look out. And like he suggested, you know, uh, if you want to make sure that the call is cleared, yeah, dial another number, dial a friend or whatever. If the friend answers, then just say, hey, I'm just testing out my phone line <laughs> to make sure I could call my bank because this uh, person called, um, you know, or something like that. So <laughs> that's pretty funny. All right, moving on to another scam. Um this was also posted by the FTC by Bridget Small, another consumer education specialist. Now, this is uh, entitled MoneyGram Refund Program Open to Take Claims. All right. So if you used MoneyGram to send money to a scammer between January 1st, 2013 and December 31st, 2017, you may be eligible eligible to file a claim for a refund. The company handling claims, Gerlardi and Company LLC, is distributing $125 million from MoneyGram's 2018 settlements with the FTC and Department of Justice in those cases. The FTC and the DOJ charged that MoneyGram failed to meet agreements to crack down on consumer fraud involving money transfers. So, here you go. You can get your money back if you have sent money to a scammer using MoneyGram between January 1st, 2013 and December 31st, 2017. You're eligible to file a claim if you sent a MoneyGram transfer to a scammer from the United States between January 1st, 2013 and December 31st, 2017, and you used your name on the money transfer. The deadline to file a claim online or by mail is August 31st, 2021. So be aware of that. August 31st, 2021 is your deadline to file a claim if you have sent money to a scammer using MoneyGram. Okay? Now, you don't have to be a U.S. citizen or in the U.S. to file a claim. If you already returned a pre-filled form to Gilardi and Company LLC, you don't need to file another claim. You can file online or print the claim form and mail it in with copies of MoneyGram receipts, send forms, and transaction history reports. Now, the claim form requires you to give your social security number. That's because the Federal Treasury Offset Program must find out whether you owe money to the U.S. government before you can get a payment. It needs your social security number to do that. So, it's okay to put your social security number on the form if you're filing a claim. Uh, you don't have to pay fees to file your claim. You don't need a lawyer to file a claim. Don't pay anyone who contacts you and says they'll help you file a claim or get your money back because there is no money to pay when you file a claim. And so anybody who calls you up and says there is a fee, don't bother with them. When you file a claim, you have to give a MoneyGram money transfer control number. MTCN, an eight-digit number assigned to a MoneyGram transfer. It's listed on MoneyGram receipts and completed send forms. So make sure you have that information. Um, uh, so it needs a 
MoneyGram money transfer control number. And it's an eight-digit number. So make sure you uh, add that to the claim form as well. For more information about eligibility, the claims process, and other topics, go to ftc.gov slash moneygram or moneygramremission.com. Okay, so there you go. Now, there is an Amazon scam going at this time, so why don't we take a listen to the audio about that. Tonight, we have a warning about a new Amazon scam targeting consumers right here in Tampa Bay and across the country. Taking action reporter Jackie Calloway shows us how these bad actors are talking victims out of thousands of dollars. This is Amazon. Amazon customers warning about a new scam targeting consumers here in Tampa Bay and across the country. This call is to authorize the payment of $799 for the recent order of iPhone 11 on your Amazon account. I figured it was a fraud, but even still, I was like, oh my gosh, do, do, was there 500 and something dollars now missing from my account? On April 6th, the Amazon customer Linda Shepard received a similar call. A girl on the other end said she was with Amazon security uh, system, that somebody was trying to hack into my Amazon account and charge uh, iPhone 12 for $999. Linda, who's a hair and makeup artist, says the person on the other end of the line caught her off guard. What made you believe her? She kept telling me that, you know, people were trying to hack into Amazon accounts all the time, that she was going to show me how to delete my credit cards. Linda logged onto a site that gave the caller control over her computer and then her bank account. It was for verification and testing. Before she'd realized she'd been dealing with an Amazon imposter, the thief stole more than $2,000 from Linda's checking account. Well, I was nauseous. I always thought I was going to throw up when it happened. The Better Business Bureau's scam tracker shows a spike in Amazon imposter ripoffs after the pandemic hit, and nearly everyone, it seems, started shopping online. In our 2020 report of scams, Amazon was the second most popular name used and reporting scams. Press one to talk with Amazon fraud department executive. If you press one, a live agent will come on and ask for a credit card number or banking information. They say it's to prevent a fraudulent order from hitting your account. It's important to remember Amazon may email you about an issue with your account, but they won't call you. So they're really good at using fear and intimidation, making you as a consumer believe something is wrong. Linda Shepard says if it can happen to her, it can happen to anyone. If someone would have told you a month ago that you would be a victim of this type of fraud, what would you have said? No way, because I'm I'm very suspicious person normally. If you get one of these calls, simply hang up. You can always use your Amazon account to reach someone in customer service. And never do a Google search for a customer service number. You may end up with another imposter. And if you've been defrauded and you paid with anything tied to your debit card, that money is likely gone forever. I'm Jackie Calloway taking action for you. Okay, so that's another one to look out for, uh, unfortunately. I mean, you really got to be vigilant um, and know who you're talking to on the phone. And you always have to verify. You can't just take their word for it. Now, uh, here's some more information on phone scams. Not necessarily, not necessarily from Amazon, but just phone scams in general. 
People lose a lot of money to phone scams, sometimes their life savings. Scammers have figured out countless ways to cheat you out of your money over the phone. In some scams, they act friendly and helpful. In others, they might threaten or try to scare you. One thing you can count on is that a phone scammer will try to get your money or your personal information to commit identity theft. Don't give it to them. Here's what you need to know. Okay, so how to recognize a phone scam. Phone scams come in many forms, but they tend to make similar promises and threats or ask you to pay certain ways. Here's how to recognize a phone scam. There is no prize. The caller might say you were selected for an offer or that you've won a lottery. But if you have to pay to get the prize, it's not a prize. Even if they say, let's say you won $2 million, but you have to pay $50 to get the paperwork processed. It's a scam. Now, $50 compared to $2 million, you might say, well, that's worth it. But the problem is, is these people keep calling and saying, you know what? I can't still give you the $2 million, but I need another, let's say, $50 uh, because of this and that and the other thing. So, then it never ends until you end it, right? Because you're like, whoa, I really want that $2 million. Sure, here's another $50. Sure, here's another $25. Well, it adds up, and then guess what? You never get the $2 million anyways. So no prizes, just heartache when they call, okay? <laughs> you won't be arrested. <laughs> and you've gotten those calls where, you, you know, uh, in that robotic voice uh, saying that they have a file open on you and if you don't call back, you're going to be arrested, right? Scammers might pretend to be law enforcement or fe a federal agent. They might say you'll be arrested, fined, or deported if you don't pay taxes or some other debt right away. The goal is to scare you into paying. But Real law enforcement and federal agencies won't call and threaten you. Okay, here's another phone uh, scam tactic. You don't need to decide now. Most legitimate businesses will give you time to think their offer over and get written information about it before asking you to commit. Take your time. Don't get pressured into making a decision on the spot. Because what the, the scammers will do, they won't give you time to decide. They'll say, well, you only have uh, a minute to decide and then this offer is going to go to somebody else, you know. Or, you know, they won't, they'll try to scare you or threaten you into making a decision on the spot. Well, again, legitimate businesses are not going to do that. Um, you know, if you say, hey... Uh, I'm going to have to take a day or two or I have to go and talk to my spouse. Usually legitimate uh, callers will say, yep, totally understand. Here's my information. But a scammer will try to make you make a decision in that spot, in that uh, time. And also, they're not going to give you their uh, call uh, numbers you know, they will give you numbers, but it's just going to be right back to the scammer. It's not going to be to any kind of company or anything like that. And they're not going to give you addresses or anything or like go to my, and they might give you a website and it might be at a faulty website too. So you have to always, always look for that. 
So never make a decision on the spot when you're on the phone with anybody. Just say you have to talk to your spouse or you have to just take some time to decide. And if it's a legitimate offer, they'll say, yep, totally understandable. Okay. Here, there's never a good reason to send cash or pay with a gift card. I mean, I've never had anybody say, you know, a legitimate company say, you know, I need a gift card for you to, uh, for this transaction to go through. Scammers will often ask you to pay in a way that makes it hard for you to get your money back by wiring money, putting money on a gift card, prepay card, or, car, or cash reload card, or using a money transfer app. Anyone who asks you to pay that way is a scammer. Government, government agencies won't call to confirm your sensitive information. It's never a good idea to give out sen sensitive information like your social security number to someone who calls you unexpectedly, even if they say they're with the Social Security Administration or IRS. And chances are, these government agencies will not call you out of the blue to ask you that information. If you have any business with the IRS or Social Security Administration, you are probably calling them to work out a problem or whatever is going on. And, or you will be visiting them personally, right? To be able to work out whatever problem there is or to uh, do any business that you need to do with them. So don't. If the people call you out of the blue and say there's some government uh, entity, it's probably not a good idea to give your information. And if you if you think they're uh, legitimate, you hang up and you call the uh, office, whatever it was that called you, the government entity that called you, you find out their real number, you call them and you ask them, is this a representative of your uh, office? And uh, then there you go. You should be pretty safe because they'll probably say no. Nobody's calling you to ask for that information. And you shouldn't be getting all those calls. If a company is selling something, it needs your written permission to call you with a robocall. And if you're on the National Do Not Call Registry, you shouldn't get live sales calls from companies you haven't done business with before. Those calls are illegal. If someone is already breaking the law calling you, there's a good chance it's a scam. At the very least, it's a company you don't want to do business with. So, examples of common phone scams, imposter scams, debt relief and credit repair scams, business and investment scams, charity scams, extended car warranties. We've talked about that on uh, here on Tube City Online Radio. And free trials, loan scams, prize and lottery scams, travel scams, and timeshare scams. So how to stop calls from scammers? Hang up. Consider call blocking or call labeling. Don't trust your caller ID. And uh, that's about it. So hopefully this show helped uh, one more person not get scammed. All right. So we are ending the show at this time. Um, 
If you have any comments or any questions about anything you heard on the show today about scams or consumer pricing going up, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any ideas on any products or services you would like to hear on the show, you can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on um, Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. This is the Consumer Review Report on Tube City Online Radio, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, Inc., heard Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at 6 p.m., and Thursday at 9 a.m. Podcasts of these shows are available on wmck.fm slash crr, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. I'm Diane Rebecca wishing everyone a safe and good week. <laughs>